Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. We were getting people notarizing at like 2 in the morning. You know, we had people meeting us at the Capitol, shoving petitions in the boxes. The time has come for us to put this into law. The date has passed. I am calling on Secretary Hobbs to expedite the signature verification project. This reinstatement of this near total ban on abortion is wildly unpopular. It's also incredibly detrimental to people's health, their bodies, and their lives. I think we all want consistency and certainty in the law. And ultimately, it is up to the governor and the legislature to make any changes they believe are necessary. I will not prosecute any doctor, any pharmacist, any nurse for abortion. I don't want to make the law. That's the job of the legislature. I enforce the law. And I think that's important distinction between my opponent and myself. And with me to talk about the ruling on Arizona's pre-statehood law banning most abortions, the ESA program going into effect and more, our former gubernatorial candidate, Christine Jones. Good morning, Christine. Good morning. And Julie Erfley of Erfley Uncuffed. Julie, good morning to you. Good morning. So let's start with the news from this morning. Secretary of State Katie Hobbs has uh, officially said that uh, Save Our Schools did not turn in enough petition signatures to refer the universal ESA expansion program to the ballot in 2024. That would have put the law on hold pending that vote. It now will go into effect. Christine, I guess, what what do you make of the fact that that the group was not able to collect enough valid signatures to, to refer this? Well, first of all, my disclosures, I do serve on the board of a charter school network. So obviously this was a good day for us. And, you know, I've heard some things, Mark, about the delay and the signing of the legislation that if they had had an extra 10 days, you know, maybe they would have gotten enough signatures. But frankly, and candidly, I was very surprised because when I talked to people from Save Our Schools, after they turned in their signatures, they were pretty confident. And this turnabout where they said, oh, just just hold on a second. We don't think we have enough was actually really surprising to me. I do think it's a good day for school choice. I think it cements Arizona's position as the leader in school choice around the country. And this is going to give other states sort of a roadmap of how to do this same sort of empowerment scholarship paradigm, you know, where they are. So if you're a school choice advocate like I am today, it was a good day. Julie, what do you think? I mean, as Christine said, a lot of a lot of folks, sort of the conventional wisdom was save our schools did this once before. No reason why they shouldn't be able to do it again. Right. Well, if you recall, a few years ago when Save Our Schools was successful, people were in shock because the you know, what most people believed was this is an extremely difficult thing to gather more than a hundred thousand signatures in less than three months. And and people were falling all over themselves, congratulating SOS because everybody gave them, you know, all of like 2% as far as chances about whether or not they could pull it off. And so I think this just goes to show that this is a very, very difficult feat. And it could be, my sense is that there was too much confidence by a lot of folks who maybe would have been involved or maybe would have pushed a little bit harder, like, oh, they did this before, everything's going to be fine, they're going to do it again. And that may have been part of the problem, right, is that there just wasn't enough, um, there wasn't enough push.
push to get this across the finish line. Plus, they faced opposition that they didn't have before. They literally had people heckling those who were gathering signatures, which was not something that they encountered before. Well, Julie, it's an interesting point you bring up about how there was sort of an organized opposition that declined to sign uh, effort uh, to try to convince people not even to sign the petitions, much less trying to go against the idea of, of you know, if it had made the ballot in opposition to that, this was an opposition uh, campaign to get people not to sign. How much of a, an effort, how much of a, a role do you think that played here? I don't know that it, it it discouraged people from signing, to be quite honest. I think it was discouraging to the folks who were out gathering signatures. I mean, I heard a lot of stories about um, people feeling like they were literally being heckled and bullied, and it was just a very confrontational situation. So I think it may have been more discouraging to those who were going around collecting the signatures versus those who were wanting to sign. I think most of the people who wanted to sign knew what they were signing for and were very happy to do so. Um, but yeah, anytime you have opposition, that creates more barriers, of course. Um, they're also, like I said, I do think though that the biggest issue here was that they're just, I, I think people came, became a little bit more complacent, like, oh, they did this before, they can do it again. And and so I think there were probably not as many people who were pulling sheets and going out and making sure that they got those sheets filled. So, Christine, the law now will go into effect. There, We have seen from the state education department, there are families who have already signed up. Uh, we know a little bit about a little bit about to who they are and, and where, you know, what their education system is now. So now that basically any public school student who wants one can or any student who wants one can get an ESA, is that the end of this issue, do you think? Or, or you know, do you anticipate that this will continue to be a political talking point going forward? Well, I, I want to echo Julie's sentiment about the Herculean effort of getting over 100,000 signatures in less than 90 days. I don't care what the issue is and where you stand on it. That is a massive deal. And so, you know, it's impressive. In terms of whether this is the end of the discussion, once the program goes into effect, it will be very difficult, if not impossible, to get a Republican legislature to change it, right? So I think we kind of are where we are. Because today is a deadline, and I, I, who knows how hardened this website is to register, it may go down, right? So many people may apply that it, it literally could mm. cause people not to be able to, to apply for the deadline today. But honestly, if you're talking about a Republican legislature who would have to take an action against what they've already done, it is really hard for me to conceptualize that happening. So I think kind of ESAs are the the rule of the day in Arizona for the next foreseeable future. And parents are going to say, you know, I want my $7,000 and I want to spend it the way I want to spend it. And I think you're going to see a lot of exodus from the public schools, which as a public school child and, you know, and uh, having my husband teaching in the public schools for the last 21 years also kind of breaks my heart because I feel like if we're trying to make the public schools better, giving them, you know, sort of this bomb in the middle of the of the equation will not help them get better. It will make them worse. Julie, let me ask you what you think about what the impact of this will be. We saw some of the early numbers were that the majority of families who applied for these were those who had students already in private schools, uh, which became a talking point for, for some of the Save Our Schools folks. Do you expect a, a big exodus from 
public schools as well? I don't know that there'll necessarily be a big exodus from public schools. I think the majority of the money is going to go to people who already are already in private schools, never had any intention to go to public schools. Um, so this is basically just going to be taking money out of the system that didn't need to come out of the system. And, and by the way, let's just clarify something. Um, you didn't need an ESA to go to a private school. Like we have choice in this state. We have plenty of choice. I think it's important for taxpayers to understand that when you're using public funds for private schools, these are schools that do not have to follow the same rules as public schools. They don't have to admit students with disabilities. They can pick and choose which students they accept. Um, that's I just don't see how that issue goes away. And I do think because we've already seen a lot of problems with where the money goes, you know, using money to, oh, I believe somebody used it to to pay for an abortion at one point. Remember that so many years ago? Um, we've already had a lot of controversy about how people are using this money. Um, there was recently, there was like a bounce house or something that was advertising that, hey, you can use your ESA funds here. I think as voters become more aware of how this money is being used, public money, I think that may cause people to reconsider. But I do think that the long-term effect is going to be things getting much worse before they get better. And it kind of reminds me actually of the abortion situation, right? Where you had advocates who were saying for a long time, people want a complete and total ban, like believe them when that is what they are going for. And everybody just kind of poo-pooed that and said, oh, no, no, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. And then it happened. Well, I think it's the same thing with this. A lot of folks have been saying, education advocates, there are far too many Republicans who want to dismantle public education and make it for and make create two very unequal systems. And that is exactly what's happening right now. Well, Julie, thank you for providing a segue to the next topic, which was going to be the first thing we <laughs> talked about until the news this morning. I was morning. just going to say that. It was so smooth. Thank Yeah. Ju Julie, you, you have a, a bright future in radio production here. Um, <laughs> Christine, let me ask you about uh, last Friday, uh, after the show, we should point out, so we didn't miss it yes, uh, last week, uh, the Pima County judge decided uh, that the injunction that had been blocking the pre-statehood ban, basically on, on most abortions, uh, should be allowed to be lifted, meaning the law could go back into effect. That ruling, though, does not seem to have clarified all that much in the minds of people on, on both sides of this issue. Um, I am not a lawyer. Can you explain why there's still so much confusion here? Well, the judge, and this is Judge Johnson down in Pima, can only work with a very limited set of facts and law that she's presented with, right? So she was only deciding one issue. I personally, as a lawyer, think it made it more confusing, not less confusing. And I do think it's incumbent upon the legislature now to come and say, is the 15-week ban that we passed in the last cycle going to overrule this? Are the two going to peacefully coexist? I personally think that they need to clarify. Now, to Julie's point about the total ban, that doesn't appear to be popular with the majority of the population. So I do think that there's still going to be a focus on it. And the legislature is going to have to say, do we want to go ahead and implement the 15-week ban? Do we want to expand it to have exceptions? Or do we really want to have another Save Our Schools that's, you know, sort of the Save Our Abortion people that are going to go collect a bunch of signatures and make a constitutional amendment that will cement the, the right to abortion in Arizona going forward? 
I think it's very complicated and very confusing. And I hope the legislature gets in session to clarify this thing before the end of the year, because honestly, today as a lawyer, I couldn't give you advice on which rule you should be following. Julie, we're going to go to a break in just a moment, obviously continue talking about this afterwards. But I want to ask you about uh, what what Christine said about this idea of a, of a special session, because Mark Burnovich has called for a special session, which is maybe the only time that Democrats and Burnovich have been on the same page about anything in the last number <laughs> of years. I, I, I hesitate to ask a cynical question related to politics, but <laughs> like, is there any chance this close to an election that the governor calls a special session and, and gets and that Republican lawmakers would agree agree on anything here? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, uh, there's several things actually that Ducey could call a special session on, um, including lifting the spending cap on public schools. Uh, but no, he's not. He's absolutely not going to call a special session on this because he knows, as Christine alluded to, 91% of Arizonans, 91% in a recent survey said that they disagree with a total ban. This is extremely unpopular. 100% of statewide Republicans running for office, uh, for statewide office, disagree with the majority and want a total ban. And many of these legislative Republicans don't want to put that uh, out in the open before an election. They don't want the voters to know that they are not on their side. They want something very different. So no, I do not see a special session happening at all. My guest this morning, former gubernatorial candidate Christine Jones and Julie Erfley of Erfley Uncuffed. So, Christine, Julie, uh, before the break, was talking about how there's basically no chance that, that there is a special session and how a lot of candidates don't really want to be talking about this issue. We have heard over the last number of weeks that at least among Democratic candidates, like the first, second, third and maybe fourth issues that they want to talk about are abortion. How are Republican candidates how should maybe they they be talking about this issue, given the the polling number that uh, that Julie referenced, and given the fact that most Arizonans don't think a, a near total ban is the way to go? Well, as a candidate, I think you have to focus on the issues that you can control and the issues that you can influence. And so, you've naturally seen Republican candidates sort of you know shying away from this, except to say I'm pro life and I believe that you know. When there is a fetus, it is a real life human being. And so I think they should be protected. Other than that, I see people pivoting away. And this issue, it, just as a, a former candidate, I think really goes to voter turnout. The Democrats obviously have used this effectively to say, this is a really important election and you must vote. I don't know that that's enough to overcome the enthusiasm of the Republicans, particularly when you see that every single Trump-endorsed candidate won their primary, their issue is not abortion, right? Their issue is the border and their issue is election integrity. So this may just come down to, uh, to Julie's point, if the legislature doesn't come back, it really may come down to, we are going to talk about on the Democrat side, the fact that 90% of the population disagrees with this. And on the Republican side, we're going to talk about we don't think your young people vote and we don't think you're going to come out. So we're going to win anyway. Well, so, Julie, it sounds like maybe this kind of goes back to the point you were making about Save Our Schools, where there maybe was a little bit of complacency there, thinking we did it before we can do it again. From the Democratic perspective, how, how what work has to happen to make sure that people who do care about this issue, but maybe aren't the most likely midterm voters, actually get out to the ballot? Well, 
always in a midterm and especially in an Arizona midterm, turnout, turnout, turnout. I mean, there just has to be a, a very large ground game. Uh, but I also think that with the candidates, and, and I do see them doing this, particularly the statewide candidates, but they have to be talking about abortion. In fact, I think that that's that is where they need to focus their messaging right now is on this issue because they are with Arizonans on this issue, actually on a couple of issues, as we saw from uh, from some recent polls. But this one in particular, I do think that if the majority of Arizonans knew that, for instance, Carrie Lake and Abe Hamada and Mark Fincham are not in favor um, of, of, you know, well, I, I should say that they are in favor of this territorial ban. They are not on board with where the rest of Arizonans want, where they believe that there should be exceptions and that abortion should be mostly legal. I think that that would motivate the majority of Arizonans to come out and vote. And I, I do think that that's something that they need to focus on is just talking about this over and over and over and what it means, right? Because some of the things that we're trying to figure out is, you know, how close to death do women have to be before they're allowed to have an abortion? Even just recently, Bronovich was talking about the 24-hour waiting law. Oh, well, does a woman have to wait 24 hours if her life is in danger, but she's not going to die within 24 hours? Or, or can she have it right? I mean, there are so many questions. These are questions that should never be answered by Doug Ducey or Mark Bronovich or Carrie Lake. These are questions that most certainly should be answered by medical professionals, but are being taken out of their hands. And Arizonans need to understand that. And Democrats need to make that choice obvious uh, and, and explain that to Arizonans that literally women and girls will be harmed by this law. Christine, the, abortion was clearly one of the big issues at the attorney general debate this week between a Democrat, Chris Mays, and Republican Abe Hamaday. And, you know, there, Chris Mays has been pretty clear about the fact that she would not prosecute physicians or uh, pharmacists or anyone else related to abortion. And as we heard at the, at the top of the hour, Abe Hamaday said, look, you know, it's not the attorney general's job to make the laws or decide which ones to enforce. Like, it's their job to enforce the law. This is a, a race that has sort of been a little bit under the radar, given all the other high profile ones. Does this issue elevate the AG race at all, do you think? If it doesn't, it, it, if it didn't before, it may now that we have this ruling, you know, from Pima County. I don't disagree with Abe Hamaday. The attorney general's job is to enforce the law. Now, as a practical matter, what Rachel Mitchell said, as the county attorney, I'm not going to prosecute these, these doctors or I'm not going to prosecute women, I think she said. That's really a more important statement because these, these laws sound under state law they really are going to go to the county attorneys for prosecution if there are prosecutions. But I do think it's important to, to hear what Abe said, which is my role isn't a policy development role. My role is the state's lawyer. And so, and, and frankly, you know, him trying to say I'm, I'm super experienced in the courtroom is probably a losing strategy. Him understanding what the attorney general does is probably better for him to stand on. But you may see more attention. And to Julie's point, if every single Democrat is talking about this uniquely, somebody is going to have to pay attention to it, right? This may actually be enough to get Katie Hobbs to do a debate, right? Couldn't Katie Hobbs come out and do a 30-minute debate and say, 
all right, this is enough for me. I'm going to go out and, and explain to voters. I'm going to look in a TV camera and say, let me tell you why you should vote for me. I mean, if this isn't enough, I don't know what is. But I, I don't disagree with you, Julie. I, I do think that this is the right message for Democrats. And I think Republicans are going to have to try to stay away from it a little bit, including Abe. All he needs to say is, I'm going to do my job. I'm not going to make the law. Well, Julie, what about that point? The fact that, you know, yes, there is prosecutorial discretion and there has been a lot of discussion about how county attorneys are really sort of the the main decision makers on this issue, as opposed to the statewide attorney general. But to to Christine's point, Hamaday saying, look, you know, it's the attorney general's job to enforce the law, regardless of what you think about it. Well, I think we need to understand what Chris Mays is saying, and and I would have to agree with her in that the attorney general's job isn't just to um, enforce the laws that were made by the legislature, but also to make sure that those laws do not conflict with the law of the land, which in Arizona is our Arizona constitution. And as Mays points out correctly, there is a portion in our state constitution that is, you know, in opposition to a complete and total ban. And that is that within our constitution, it's not within the U.S. constitution, but within our state constitution, there is an expressed right to privacy. And what Chris Mays is saying is that, I mean, what could be more private than a decision a woman has to make about her body, a decision a woman has to make in consultation with her doctor? That is a very private, very confidential decision. And so what Mays is saying is that if something goes against, if the legislature creates a law that is in opposition to the state constitution, it is absolutely the attorney general's place to call that out and to say that, no, we cannot create a law that is in opposition to our constitution. And that's what she's saying. And I think that that's really important because we are actually seeing this same thing being debated in other states now that Roe v. Wade was overturned. We have other states that have a similar right to privacy within their state constitutions, and they're litigating this as well. And if she's the AG, she will take this on and she will litigate it up to the Arizona Supreme Court. Christine, very quickly before we have to wrap up, we've seen, for example, just in the last month or so, Mark Burnovich declining to defend a state law dealing on uh, filming police. We have seen attorneys general in the past decline to defend particular laws. Like, does the attorney general, should should they maybe not have that ability? Should they be forced to to defend the law regardless of, of what they think about it? It's a, such an interesting question, and it's really more of an existential question about the role of the person in that job. Right. They are the state's lawyer. They are supposed to represent agencies of the state, including the governor. And But I do think Julie makes a really good point, which is when there's a conflict, it does fall to the attorney general to clarify that. Now, the Supreme Court has said we didn't find a right of privacy in the U.S. Constitution. Arizona codified that you know, decades ago. So does the right of privacy give women the right to an abortion? That is an issue for the attorney general to get clarified. And it probably does need to go to the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, this trope about my opponent wants to put doctors, nurses, and pharmacists in jail for abortion care, you know, that I think is the wrong message for Chris Mays. If she is an astute lawyer, I think she can she can rest on this discrepancy or the conflict between the Constitution and the law. And that is something that the attorney general should get worked out. All right. We'll have to leave it there. Certainly much more on all of these issues. My thanks to uh, Christine Jones, former gubernatorial candidate, and Julie Earfley of Earfley Uncuffed. Thanks to you both for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks Thanks for having us.
You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.